0: hello everyone thank you for joining us here on AOA excited that uh, y'all took uh, the time to make AOA a part of your day I tell you what if you live in the Dakotas down through Iowa Illinois Ohio up through the east coast it's going to be a busy weather weekend at the end of the show we'll talk to Greg Solier about just what to expect as far as snowfall and potential for some winds here as this uh, storm system moves its way eastward before that though we are going to be talking with Corey Milby out of Brazil. He's gonna give us an update on how things are shaping up on the ground in Brazil and Argentina works with a lot of growers and we're gonna be talking about lumber. The lumber market went nuts in 2021. It's doing it again here in 2022. Stinson Dean, a lumber trader with Deacon Lumber will join me in the next segment to talk about what's happening in this market and if there's anything we can learn in the other markets by watching lumber in this inflationary environment. But first, while we're talking higher costs, we can't ignore the higher cost of fertilizer. That is something the National Corn Growers Association has been laser focused on for the past two months as uh, this fertilizer market continues to go crazy. And they've focused in specifically on tariffs and some of the impact that tariffs could have on fertilizer prices. In fact, NCGA just commissioned a new study from Texas A&M to give us an update. Chris Edgington, and the president of NCGA joins us today. Chris, you getting some snow up there in St. Ansgar? I am,
2: Mike. I am. It started snowing
3: here about 7 o'clock, and then it kind of let up for a little bit. But, yeah, it's still coming down. The way it sounds, well. we are borderline 6 to 12 inches
0: oh boy well that's some, some free nitrogen there if we talk to the old boys but let's talk about nitrogen fertilizer chris NCJ just had this study done by texas a m university what'd you find
3: well we found a couple things uh in there one um the the study showed that anhydrous ammonia is is really no longer tied to the price of natural gas um which is something that uh you know the companies have been trying to say and, and in the past that was the case but for the last 10 12 years it's it's pretty obvious that uh, anhydrous is not tied to, to natural gas and it's it's much more closely tied to the price of corn um which is you know part of what we studied but on top of that we, we found out that if you do a tariff it, it's not just on the amount that comes in from a foreign country that gets that tariff effectively the tariff raises the price across the board for both domestic and imported product. So the, the tariff numbers they're talking, um, we, we could be adding $100 a ton on what has already been a substantial run-up uh, in the prices of fertilizer.
0: And this $100 a ton could come from the new t- uh, potential, I should say, new tariffs coming from Trinidad and Tobago that uh, CF Industries has been fighting for. Is that still the battle?
3: That is the battle. It's, it's back actually Trinidad, Tobago, and Russia. And, you know, the, the preliminary report is they would put an even bigger tariff on Russia. Well, in, in effect, that's putting that tariff across everything because, um, as it was explained to me, it's the highest common denominator, and so the, the, the highest tariff will be the one that drives the price and drives the increase across the industry.
0: That makes sense. A tariff is basically a price floor, an artificial floor that gets put in place. And of course, it's going to raise the cost to everyone. Chris, you've been focusing on this issue for some time. I know NCGA was really the first to call attention to the potential tariff impact on nitrogen pricing. In your conversation with folks in D.C. who are going to be making decisions, does it sound like the NCGA approach is making them take notice I
3: yeah I, we get we are getting attention. Um you know we're getting attention both from the companies um you know and and it's kind of started even even before nitrogen it started with phosphates and mosaic and the tariffs that uh, were imposed that we tried to fight a year ago on that but but it, yes um our senators our, our representatives um the USDA um they are all asking us questions. Um, what are our constituents saying what are our growers feeling, you know, how much price difference is this really having down on the farm? And, and you know, the, the combination of all of these products, uh, we're looking at uh, two, three times. I've even heard a few producers say more than three times what they spent last year for, for fertilizer. Um, and tariffs are just uh, insult to injury.
0: They are. And I think when a lot of people look at tariffs, you know, they sound okay when we talk about them in practice, but really what a tariff is, is we're saying these people are coming in and pricing this stuff too cheap and we can't compete domestically. So we've got to raise the price on the stuff coming in so that all prices are higher. And yeah, that just stings when you're the one paying retail, Chris.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we pay retail on a lot of things and, and, and we sell a lot of stuff wholesale. So that, that is a challenge. And and uh, so absolutely this is just adding to it
0: well i want to talk about some of the other results the study found namely that anhydrous ammonia in particular eh, that's not tied to natural gas anymore that's the the industry line but it's directly tied to corn prices as you found out
3: right um if you read inside of the report you kind of see that the price rises of natural gas only are accounting for about a 15 percent change in, in the price of anhydrous and you know we're up we're up multiples of of a hundred percent and so um that natural gas price is, is while a small piece um is a factor and, and yes the weather can be a factor and and logistics and there's a whole list of things but there, there's a couple charts inside of that report that pretty well tell you it's tied to the price of corn
0: absolutely and it makes sense if the corn price is going up theoretically we're going to see more farmers planting corn nurturing that corn that demand is going to go up as well is that what was driving the price at the end of the day
3: i think supply issues and concern about if they could even get anhydrous
0: next spring
3: um, were what was really driving farmers at the end
4: um there's
3: there's a lot of discussion out there mike about how much guys are going to use it I've heard several producers uh, talk about, you know, I'm actually not going to put as many pounds on. But when it was in frantic mode to get something on, um, it, it definitely became a supply problem.
0: It did. Chris, you talk to folks throughout the industry. As we get through this springtime crunch, looking out through the rest of 2022, are you hearing that fertilizer availability is going to become more prevalent?
3: We hope so. But I haven't, you know, I haven't had anybody totally say that yet. No problem we get five months from now, there'll be plenty of fertilizer out there. Nobody has come out and said that. So we are definitely going to have a challenge through the 2022 growing season. Um, and we, we would hope before we get to 2023 planning, uh, which, you know, quite honestly starts for a lot of people about August, um, that, uh, that we've got a better handle on our supply situations.
0: Yes, indeed. Chris, you know, I was just glancing through the report. There's a comment in here. The US ranked ninth among ammonia exporters in 2019. That same year, we were the second largest global importer, agriculture and ag inputs. We truly are global. And it sounds like any time we twist that uh, that global pricing scheme with tariffs, in this case, we see prices come up on our end. So this is something you're going to be watching at NCBA for some time. NCGA, excuse me. Uh, Perfect. Chris Edgington
3: NGBA are
2: watching it as well.
0: <laughs> I think you are correct about that. Chris Edgington, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Anytime. And folks, when we return, Stinson Dean Lumber Trader will join us to talk about that lumber market and what we could learn in the other markets in the commodities. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
5: DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day, our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com.
1: Oh, nice! Engine! Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen?
6: Check, check, and check.
1: Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with Hemis. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio
4: station.
0: agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
1: keeping farmers and ranchers informed
0: a-o-a now back to mike pearson Welcome back to AOA, folks. Thanks for joining us today. Next up, we are going to be talking lumber. A lot of us remember just about a year ago, the lumber market moved into the headlines of a lot of major newspapers because it had tripled in price. Well, it's doing it again as we kick off 2022 to help us make sense of what's going on in the lumber market. Stinson Dean joins me next. He's a lumber trader with Deacon Lumber. Stinson, this market's going crazy yet again, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we're... I don't know, within striking distance of the old all-time high, which was, you know, established last May. Uh, it's it's really crazy to just kind of think, here we go again, uh, somewhat following the same seasonal pattern. But, uh, yeah, we're on our way up there.
0: We are. It's just, let's talk. A lot of our listeners, we don't trade lumber. We don't grow lumber necessarily. So this is a market we're not always up to speed with. In fact, I forgot it was listed under softs in most That's commodity right. trading structures, even though lumber is, is rather hard. I want to talk to you about what happened last year. We've come through 2021. We saw crazy volatility. What happened last year to make the lumber market go so nuts? Uh,
2: it, it really came down to structurally how our our market trades Uh, and it structurally everyone's chronically short I say everyone like uh, um, the end user which I would consider a lumber yard who's buying bulk commodities not necessarily the builder the 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 sales model for those folks is to commit to sales 30 60 90 days out on a fixed price and lumber is all traded in flat price terms in the cash markets and hope you know the price is lower by the time it comes to deliver that project and no one has the balance sheet to to just buy the lumber and hold it for for 90 days uh, so they kind of try to project an average cost and sell into rallies and and what happened last year was price started moving so quickly uh folks couldn't wait any longer and they got to that uh, 89th day of their 90-day price lock where they had to deliver lumber on the 90, uh, 90th day or get sued, uh, and they had to buy no matter what the price was. And so there was just a crazy short squeeze in the cash markets last year uh, that pushed us higher
0: as you look at things developing right now you know it's interesting short squeezes last spring we had the one in uh in gamestop and an amc and the equity markets had a similar story in the lumber market as 2022 gets underway stinson is that same phenomenon repeating itself
2: gosh it's just like it seems real lazy to be like yeah it's just the same thing but the more this has developed uh the more it feels very similar i, I think uh there's a chance folks just wrote off last year as a one-off. Uh, you know, we can't go this high again. And then folks are fixated on the number, the flat price. So it can't be $1,000 on the screen. Well, why not? If, that's like it's, if your reason it shouldn't be higher is just purely because of a number, that doesn't make any sense. The fundamentals behind it are we have insatiable demand. We cannot meet, clearly, we cannot meet housing demand And uh, it just feels like folks got a little uh, over their skis again, committing to to deliver lumber that they didn't own, hoping it would stay low, And, and it hasn't
0: no it certainly hasn't so that short squeeze is redeveloping i want to circle back around to the the actual supply and demand of the lumber market has any of that changed you mentioned very strong demand on the building side on the supply side did last year's prices change anything or is that market pretty well locked into production for years at a time
2: you know it's no not years at a time the the model from producers in lumber is to sell about four weeks Forward, we call it an order file. Uh, so they're kind of selling on four-week uh, cycles, and the, the the thing that's hard for folks to comprehend is the idea that that lumber is no longer cheap and abundant. Uh, we are highly dependent on Canadian lumber and Canadian forests that per, that the the lumber's produced from, and the forests uh, up there have been devastated the last mm, twenty years: beetle kill, forest fires uh and and the government owns most of the land and they've reduced access to those forests logging access and most canadians agree with this decision because it was uh, getting overlogged uh, and they had to cut back so there is no more production to be found of canadian lumber there's some nuance here we don't have time to get into between southern yellow pine u.s lumber and canadian lumber but there is no more production like if there was we would have found it at $700, 800 $900 per thousand. The highest price we've ever seen before all this was 590 And now we're, we're trading at $1,300 plus today. Uh, so clearly, if there was more production to, to turn on, more capacity, we would have found it hundreds and hundreds of dollars ago. So it just doesn't exist. And uh, if you accept that, you, you understand it's, uh, it's going to be higher for longer.
0: You know, given that these price spikes Stinson, and have been so quick, you know, I look back at 2020, we saw a little spike prices rapidly moved back down to 500 2021 we priced you know, spiked up over $1,500 prices moved right back down to 500. Now we're at 1300. I imagine that $500 is the downside target once the squeeze comes to a close.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it could because kind of, those were all squeezes. Everyone's chronically short, short. And it's just here we go again. And eventually Everyone who's short will get covered, and then they'll try to reprice at, the, at these new higher prices, and the builders and end users will say, no, that price is too high, and demand will soften, and there'll be no more to buy until they can reprice uh, at the $500 number. So, yeah, I think uh, this spike will, will be a little bit more uh, sudden in its uh, resolution, but the, yeah, I think uh, $500 is certainly uh, on the table here in the spring.
0: So Stinson, since, since we're, we're talking lumber futures here, we're talking about the futures and the, the interplay between the futures and the physical market. Can you, can you give us the, the rough idea for the specs on a lumber future? What is delivered when you buy one contract of lumber, say in March of 22?
2: Right, yep, great question. And, and for what it's worth, I'm a cash trader and I, I hedge with futures, I, I, I trade the basis. And so I'm intimately familiar with both. And if you are long a futures contract on the screen, you are agreeing to take delivery of a rail car of lumber that's 110,000 board feet of two by four, number two grade, uh, eight foot through 20 foot, we call it random lengths, a little bit of eights, 10s, 12s through 20 foot. Um, and that's kind of the, the proxy for all lumber dimensions and specs is a, is a carload of two by four. And that 2 by 4 is used as plate material uh, in a house, studs. It's all uh, um, softwood lumber that goes behind drywall. So it's a, it's a, it's a carload's load, car worth, and it's priced F.O.B. Prince George, British Columbia, uh, in U.S. dollars. And so the, it, there is not a, the, it's not representative of Delivered Chicago or anything like that. Uh, if you take it to delivery, you then negotiate with the sell side uh, on a uh delivered
0: rate as you're thinking about delivery and getting that lumber from british columbia to wherever it needs to be to go into a house how have freight rates impacted lumber shipments we haven't heard a lot about rail backloads, other than containers is that true is has uh lumber by rail mainly escaped the supply chain hiccups
2: right. no it, it hasn't but lumber is unique uh, i think about 20 years ago um they change it changed to where the seller is always giving a delivered price in the cash market so it's delivered dallas deliver atlanta i i buy a lot of lumber uh into the u.s i i don't face the rail lines at all um i'm buying from the sawmill delivered to the final destination and so i have no idea what the rates are and and largely they're fixed uh for six months so so in our industry the producer has volume fixed rate contracts with the with the rail lines that seem to price reset every six months or so what happens though is this is my uh, I, I think this is what's happening is rail shipping gets, gets delayed and you can't get the product and you know it gets too cold and the tight track you can't pay more to get your product to your destination, because we don't really have an open market trait uh, dynamic in, in lumber. Uh, so it's just kind of, you're at the whim of the uh, rail lines and, and the shipper, uh, which is to our detriment sometimes, because there's sometimes where you will pay a lot of money to get it on time and you don't have that ability.
0: Absolutely, Stinson, before we let you go, farmers looking at maybe doing some construction on the farm this year, hold off on securing lumber for a while?
2: Um, so. Yeah, if 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 it's not uh, painful to wait, um, I would I would wait. Uh, and the cheapest time to buy lumber is when it's the hottest outside. Uh, you know, when it's when it's 100 plus degrees in Texas, that's when you should be buying lumber because no one else is out there buying and building.
0: All right, that's some news we can use. Thank you, Stinson Dean from Deacon Lumber, to talking to us about this market. Really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: And, folks, stick around. When we return, we'll go down to Brazil with Corey Melby from Brazil International getting an update on the crops south of the border. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control.
7: It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. The system
0: of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices.
8: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest
7: innovations.
8: Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, private exporters reported a sale this morning of corn and soybean meal, 100,422 metric tons of corn to Mexico for this marketing year and 100,000 metric tons of soybean meal for delivery to Spain during the 22-23 marketing year. As we look at those sales and then look at the futures trade, Not really uh, impacting much here as we are lower across the board, led lower by wheat and soybeans here as we work through our Friday morning corn. That market just down fractionally, we'll call it firm, but the wheat market continues to slip lower. Argentine crop ratings continue to tumble amid record heat and drought. Its soybean crop is rated just 31% good to excellent this week, down from 88% four weeks ago. Its corn crop rated 23% good to excellent, down from 87% four weeks ago. Now there are rains in the forecast next week for those dry areas of South America, and they'll be pivotal for shaping the production outlook as we head into February, which is really the key month for much of the region. South American weather is expected to be the key driver of the grain and oil sea markets in the weeks ahead, followed by a shift to the U.S. growing season. Right now on the board, March corn down a half penny, 587. May corn down a half penny, 589. March soybeans down nine and a quarter, 1368. May down nine and three quarters at 1377 and a half. March bean meal down $1.70 a ton, four o seven twenty. dollars March bean oil down 63 points at fifty seven eighty one. March Chicago wheat 6.5, lower 7 dollars a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down 12 at a quarter, $7.47 and a half. March spring wheat down 11.5 at $8.84 higher action in hogs mixed trade in cattle february lean hogs up 302 80, 87 april up 247 8780 80 January feeder cattle down 27 65 february live cattle up 12 137 12. this is aoa i'm jesse allen
4: as an organ donor your story doesn't have to end The good in you can live on in fact You could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, folks. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. You know, we have been talking a lot this week about the situation down in Brazil. We saw that reflected in the USDA's World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimate Report. Drought and the rain across South America has created some substantial issues. And I wanted to check back in with our friend in Brazil, Mr. Corey Melby, agribusiness consultant. Corey, you sent me an article about a crop tour that's going on in Paraná. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's shaping up?
9: Yesterday, the uh, Minister of Agriculture, and the other government officials got a first-hand look of the well drought damage in western Paraná and down into Rio Grande do Sul. They're just covering the basis, no different than we would in the United States, uh, given the same scenario. Nothing has come out of that yet, but it's uh, it's for the government to help with aid or extending payments, working with banks, stuff like that. It, it's preparatory. For some uh, federal aid later on.
0: Corey, you know, we talk a lot about crop insurance here in the United States and how that can help growers in the event of a drought year or a flood year. You've got both in Brazil right now. What sort of insurance protection is there for Brazilian growers?
9: Rule of thumb is about uh, 30% of the farmers have some sort of crop insurance. When you get out into the uh, frontier or the the Sahado, the large farms generally do not. But in Southern Brazil, the smaller family farms tend to have some sort of um, cr- credit insurance, so to speak. We can't really call it revenue insurance, but uh, if it's at the 65% level. So if you lose uh, more, than, more than the initial 35% of, of some historic norms, your your note at the bank will be offset for whatever you've borrowed. You'll never get more than your crop inputs. But okay. at least the note that you have at the bank can be offset. Okay. Um, it's not that good of insurance, quite frankly.
0: Corey, now that harvest is underway, are we starting to get some reports of the quality of the crop that's coming out of the ground? Some photos I've
9: seen out of Western Paraná, uh, Paraguay, and Rio Grande do Sul—absolutely terrible quality. Green beans uh, shriveled up, uh, heat damaged. You name it. Um, uh, so, so, that's drought-related stress, where where the seed did not, you know, finish forming correctly because of lack of moisture, and then going north up into Northern Mato Grosso, et etc. There we have the other uh, side of this with too much rain, a new type of fungus, uh, so to speak, that is causing the seeds to rot from the inside of the pod out. That could be uh, something to do with modern genetic uh, changes that have been done to these newer varieties. The pod looks okay on the outside, but the seed is rotten on the inside very, very strange.
0: No, that is strange. Is that widespread or was that just a a small area you saw that from? Regional, county by county,
9: variety by variety. To begin with, it seems to be only in the early soybeans that are coming off that tends to be cotton ground now for second crop. So it's that particular maturity, 95, 100-day soy, that was being rained on three weeks ago every day that's ready for harvest today. So that's where they're seeing it. Uh, I w- I would think in the later, longer maturing varieties and a stretch of dry weather ahead, the problem should disappear, I think.
0: All right. Well, I wanted to ask you before we start talking about the rains in the north, uh, these rains across the the drought area that are in the forecast. Now, we've heard some pretty catastrophic thoughts about what could happen to that Brazilian soybean crop if these rains don't come. Corey, what happens if if we do get the rains? I mean, these losses aren't baked in quite yet, are they?
9: In western Paraná and in the first soy of Rio Grande do the the losses are baked in. So we're working with, you know, 40% of, of, of the state, so to speak, at least in Paraná. You are correct with eastern Paraná, or let's say half the state, that did get rain earlier on and has been planted later? Yes, they have been benefiting from recent showers. Is it 100% recuperation? No. Keep in mind that Rio Grande has sold the, the larger part of their soybean crop is planted after wheat harvest. So they're just wrapping up soybean planting now in some areas. So in Rio Grande do Sul, you have a first crop of, of soy that has been hurt badly, but the the, the larger part of the Rio Grande do Sul crop is much like Argentina. It's still in its development, uh, it's still growing and, and still flowering yet. There is a chance that Rio Grande do Sul can par. Some of its losses. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, you know, that's if you get the rain, Corey, you also shared with me the the depth of the Parana Parana River, rather, is the lowest it's been since 1945. So even these beans that are going in now in Rio Grande do Sul and in Argentina uh, that are approaching the flowering stage, they're not getting much relief, it sounds like. They're behind the eight ball.
9: It's it's like planting soybeans, you know, well into June or July in the states. Or, or imagine second crop soy in in Arkansas or Illinois or Kentucky, that type of thing. If they can catch some rains, you know, you might be surprised. But generally speaking, you're you're already off to a half a crop, so to speak, and and that's what they're worried about is is. Uh, there's no recovery. It's only average at best. Then we need to start believing some of these lower numbers that, that have been put out by the commodity pundits lately.
0: Well, I want to take the focus a little farther into the future, Corey, and look at the second crop, the Safrina corn crop. Talking to the producers you've spoken with, as they're gearing up to get that crop in the ground, how do inputs look? Have they been able to get things secured
9: Fertilizer, urea, I think is fine, uh, at least maybe some just-in-time deliveries. Um, there has been some talk of uh, uh, cancellation of desiccants for soybeans. Um, they'll probably have some workarounds with that, but uh, at the moment, I think second crop will still be okay. They'll, they'll still be able to get their glyphosate and, and you know, fungicides and, and insecticides are, 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 are an okay supply. Uh, the major issue is for these guys looking ahead to 2023. Uh, their crop input suppliers, you see, are ordering from China now or negotiating with China now. And their distributors are saying, if you need X, we're only going to guarantee you one third of X. So the issue for the their coming year 2023 crop year it's not just about price it's about will there even be enough product for 2023 at any price that's what's driving some farmers nuts what do they do for the year ahead
0: and how are they dealing with that Are, are folks just making calls trying to secure additional supply or are you seeing some acreage change
9: my opinion is I think this will slam the brakes on any type of uh, expansion for, of Brazil soy for the coming year. If you have to beg, borrow, and steal just to get supplies for next year, I don't think you're going to see farmers want to expand much. They're going to be very happy, especially with this election year coming up, to uh, maintain the area that they have and do the best job they can. And hopefully get enough product just for that.
0: Right. Hopefully get enough product at a price they can afford. Corey, you talk to growers all over the country, down there in Brazil, financially, from a a farm financial perspective, how are most of these growers sitting after the drought last year, plus the elevated prices right now? Are most folks in a a pretty financially healthy situation in Brazil?
9: From uh, a line east and west, from Sao Paulo state and north, where they had a soybean crop last year, some sort of corn crop last year. uh, They're doing fine. Uh, Put it this way. The frontier areas of Brazil are dealing with record farm income and and almost record productivity. Now, from Paraná South, it's it's a tale of two cities. Again, um, those farmers that have had almost three droughty patterns and or frosts. three years in a row now, my friends say there's some financial stress uh, in, in Paraná and in Paraguay. Uh, things are not good. They're going to need some help or at least be able to skip some machinery payments, so to speak. Uh, there are problems. Yes.
0: Well, how about infrastructure, Corey? Is it getting easier to move grain around the country?
9: In Mato Grosso, yes, with the completion of BR-163, in essence, to the Amazon, yes, freight rates have dropped down a bit. So that's also helping the extension of the uh, Rumo Railroad to Rondonopolis with future plans to go further into the interior. That will help in the future. And uh, that has been, um, they've been moving product to Santos very efficiently the last couple of years. Not only soy, corn, and soy meal out, but uh, bringing fertilizer back out to Ronanopolis to avoid some of this crazy uh, truck freight. Uh, So efficiencies are happening. If you look at it on a year-by-year basis, it's like watching paint dry. But uh, after after five years, you look back and say, yeah, things are better. If we could only do that on an annual basis, you wouldn't believe it. But it seems like you have to look at it in five-year increments to really see the change.
0: There we go. Things to keep an eye on. Corey Melby, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Always appreciate your insights on the situation in Brazil. Thank you. Folks, it's Corey Melby. You can find his website at brazilintl.com. And stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
4: Hey, Dad,
8: your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
4: Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one,
0: Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by
10: AARP and the Ed Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
7: When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system
0: of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices.
8: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
7: Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPM.com today.
5: Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at ALZ.org. You are not alone.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know, AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, thanks for joining us today on AOA, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there is some weather moving across the country today. We've got potential for snow across the central northern part of the Corn Belt, stretch stretching east. Boy, it could be something. I figured before we all get out for the weekend, we should get an update. Greg Solier, meteorologist for this weekend agribusiness, is joining me. Greg, this snow, is it going to be uh, substantial?
6: Oh, yeah. Good morning there, uh, fellow Snow Bunny. Yeah, it is uh, substantial. The folks up there across uh, a good chunk of uh, Minnesota coming out of the eastern Dakotas, let's say as far west as Bismarck, Fargo in particular. You run it down to the Corn Palace, Sioux Empire region, and from there, uh, down into northern and eastern Missouri, back up to Des Moines, uh, the Twin Cities, uh, St. Cloud. Uh, in that corridor, easily four to eight and probably somewhere lined up from Fargo to Des Moines, maybe to the northeastern corner of Missouri, there may be some outlier 10 and 15 inch totals. I'll tell you, that'll get your attention and what's been at least over a, a wide area of the plains and Corn Belt, a kind of a deficit, of snow drought wintertime season. Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it across the uh, upper Midwest, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and at times into the Western Corn Belt, but this is the first of three far-reaching winter storms, and I've uh, been doing this weather business there, Mike, for some 30 years, and it's quite unusual. Uh, it happens once in a while, but quite unusual to see a storm virtually track from north to south and then set up shop initially from the upper Midwest down to the Delta then swing its way to the eastern states, and that's the trajectory of winter storminess here over the next three to five days
0: well Greg that 10 to 15 inches there around Fargo that is a lot of snow the last couple times we've seen snow fall in the Dakotas it has been accompanied by really high winds there have been Blizzard warnings do you see wind being a threat with this clipper moving through
6: yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And it's not even it's, it's a stronger clipper. It's just a winter storm per se. Uh, but we do have clipper systems in the extended outlook. Again, we are not done while it's been late in arriving. And those will be the mechanisms, these clipper features that will add to the snowpack and snow cover. But yeah, earlier on this morning and still go on at it, a uh, high wind warnings around the Black Hills and a bit east of there. Those downslope winds are back into play off the Black Hills. And some of those gusts have been already in the range of 55 to 65 miles per hour. So yeah, pay heed to those winter storm warnings across the eastern Dakotas, a good chunk of Minnesota, uh, down through Iowa in the northeastern parts of Missouri, sections of far western Illinois up through Wisconsin winter weather advisories. There will be wind in virtually any and all direction accompanying this uh, corridor of snowfall with again, yes, wind out and blizzard conditions anticipated uh, to build from the eastern Dakota southward in through uh, Minnesota and Iowa here through northern Missouri over the next 12 to 24 hours. So again, these have been few and far between these two more typical midwestern latitude type storms. But again, the first of three to impact the nation we've got another winter storm for the south and another winter storm for the eastern states including the carolinas here in the days to come
0: so i wanted to ask you about those three storms greg we've got this one moving down today impacting the corn belt then there's that southeast issue you mentioned and the the far east is that this same storm system moving its way over or are these three truly separate i, I weather events happening here over the weekend what, what?
6: I, I think it's a good way to label three separate weather events, but it's the same driving upper air mechanism. It's the upper air that serves up these individual lows, if you wanted to think of them as ping-pong balls. So one coming through right now, that will tend to fade in weekend, but the upper air support drops into the Ozarks, the lower Mississippi Valley. I would be surprised if we got some snow reports coming into the Ozarks, so eastern Texas, Louisiana, Uh, Parts of western Tennessee, Kentucky, remember just a few weeks ago, those folks uh, were dealt with severe weather, then flooding rainfall, Kentucky and Tennessee, they're back into winter storm mode there, probably back down to where it was about 10 days ago, Uh, Birmingham, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and then that third storm will come out of that part of the country, re-energize across the Gulf Stream, the Outer Banks, of the Carolinas out there towards Raleigh-Durham, there's winter storm watchers for snow and ice through the Appalachians. That system will move into the northeast of New England, and signs of a nor'easter up in that direction. So it's the same upper configuration, but yeah, three separate weather events here in the days to come impacting the eastern half of the country.
0: Oh boy, Greg, as long as we've got you here and we're talking about weather, we're gonna have it sounds like a tough winter for a lot of folks here, especially east of the Rockies. As we look into the early part of next week, do things start to moderate, settle down a little bit?
6: Yeah, they do, they do moderate, though. We actually have a quick turnaround in temperature reading, maybe wind blow, but a moderation of the cold into the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, back towards the divide. Then we're going to re-kind uh, of position this Arctic air. Science that it wants to take more of a Minnesota, Upper Midwest, Great Lakes, Eastern Corn Belt movement and dig all the way down to the Delta region, the Gulf Coast, probably frost and freeze into Northern Florida in the next five to seven days. So you got colder with the eastern half of the country, warm per se, in quotes over the western part of the country. And by the way, all that moisture we had in California in the southwest of December, an anomaly, that is not going to happen. Uh, it's not something you see in a lot need yet set up. And they're already clamoring about deficits developing, redeveloping California, uh, coming off what was that very wet and snowy month of December. In any event, uh, a busy weather pattern to shape up across the high plains areas, a break across the Dakotas. And then more snow, where it's been a snow deficit, five to ten inch deficits on snowfall this season throughout parts of the central Corn Belt, uh, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. We will make up for that uh, here in the days and weeks to come. So kind of a late arriving for some protracted winter season. Unfortunately, the massive charts, as you can check out that extended forecast, by the way, on this weekend's edition of This Week in Agribusiness, it may be very much a delayed arrival the springtime and even spring planning, and maybe the specter of flooding for a change. We haven't had, I don't think we had with much of that through the Red River Valley of the North last wintertime and springtime season. That could play out over the Eastern Dakotas and Minnesota this particular uh, springtime season.
0: Yeah, Greg, you mentioned spring might be a little delayed in getting here. You see this cold once it sets in as hanging around a little longer than usual.
6: Yeah, hanging along around. It will get some moderation, you know, from time to time. But any time you know get these cold air movements, it is the cold air that generates rain. You'll be doing just that, or late late season snow. So we anticipate kind of a late arriving spring for the Dakotas, for a good chunk of the corn belt, and probably even in deeper into springtime in those eastern complex reaches. So uh, it's La Nina. La Ninas are uh, not uh, conducive to getting early spring going anywhere across the plains and corn
0: all my friends so. all right well greg solier meteorologist on this week in agribusiness thanks for joining us stay warm there in the chicago suburbs
6: yeah you too my friend take care in iowa
0: will do and folks come back on monday on aoa we'll be talking weather with john baranek of dtn policy with jackie fatka and we'll talk fertilizer with josh linville we'll see you monday on aoa This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
7: The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
4: As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov